Hi there. You're back for another episode of the Wednesday's Child Podcast, where we talk all things eating disorder recovery and give you some tips and tricks and some stories about those of us that have managed to navigate our way through recovery. I'm going to go straight into introducing again my co-host, Sarah Ledger, because today you have the two of us. We haven't duetted for a couple of weeks because we've been busy bringing you guests and insights and experiences and recovery stories. And every now and then we just sort of feel Sarah and I just need to jump on here to remind you this is what you need to keep going through to get through the other side. So, um, hi, Sarah, how are you doing? Are you having a good, what is, what, Friday? Oh, we're well into Friday afternoon. Is all going well with you? It is. It still seems weird that it's next has been bank holiday week, so it's kind of, I'm a day out of schedule. But yes, all canny. Thank you very much. Oh, amazing. I did have a befriending call earlier this morning, and she was saying, God, isn't it really strange that it's like a four-day week, but it feels like it's been a really, really, really long week. I thought, yeah, yeah, what? why does it always feel like that after a bank holiday? But for some reason it does. Is it because psychologically we know we're only going to get two days this weekend? Maybe that's it. Maybe. Yeah, we've built ourselves up. we set ourselves up for a failure. Uh, Sarah I'm just going to on a little bit of housekeeping while we are live on the podcast if you there is any way you can just up your volume a little bit probably because I'm so gobby I'm really noisy and my audio is what it is but I'm just struggling to hear you compared with your normal um, levels of dulcet tones so if you are is that that better am I am I audible now it's getting a little bit better it was for some reason it was a little bit uh, stifled but there we go I'm sure everybody can hear you Hopefully. I fingers crossed. Yeah, exactly. So this this sort of podcast episode, we are going to do what we often do and pick up on a conversation that's been sparked by someone contacting us either by email or social media. And somebody had emailed me this week and you and I immediately shared the email because stuff in it really resonated. And it was about somebody who's been going through recovery, is in a fairly good place and is now looking to restart her professional identity if you like she's looking at starting up her cv maybe reapplying for some things and looking what that gap on her cv looks like after a period of being in treatment and getting help for an eating disorder and it's kind of after some insights from us and what other people have done to get over that hurdle so we thought we'd visit that and we do know that we've got some future stuff happening around and particularly using uh, hr specialists to talk a little bit more about this area but you and I can bring some personal reflection to this. In particular, you can, because actually, unlike some people, you were in the midst of a really high, you know, high level career at the point that your eating disorder struck. So I guess for you, you've been through that point where you had to make some pretty hard decisions personally and professionally around what was going to happen for you after eating disorder recovery. Yeah, I suppose mine was in two parts, really. So I my diagnosis just two weeks after getting my first position as a deputy head teacher in a great big comprehensive school nearby um and then so then my first year when I was in recovery obviously I couldn't you can't teach when you're in mental health recovery you can't when you're in hospital full-time course you can't do anything um so my first year though of that recovery that like kind of pretend recovery as I call it was very much me getting well in inverted commas for the job so everything I was doing was about me getting back to the old life and obviously the old life was where the eating disorder lived so when I then went back to work finally after about nine months and I had about a phased return I'd be longer than that actually 10 11 months I had a gradual phased return and it all went totally disastrously wrong 
because I wasn't well and I'd, I'd try to recover for the job rather than for me. So I then went, I had a massive relapse, ended up having to come out of my contract altogether. And it was at that point where I kind of said to my care team, right, I now need to know how to get well for me. And then ultimately I need to know what life is going to be like once I'm back out into the world because everything I'd been teaching since I was 21. You know, I'd, I'd been in that same job forever and now suddenly I was not there anymore. And I guess that did all sorts of things as to how you felt about your own identity and what your future goals were going to be because you were, Sarah, on a mission to become a head teacher, an executive head. You know, that, that was your life carved out. So all of a sudden, not only yeah. have you just faced a massive mental health challenge and the realisation that life is never going to be quite the same, but also everything you thought was the way forward, that has altered too. And everyone was like, I remember getting, not angry, but a bit kind of annoyed, I suppose, about a certain point in that real recovery year. So when I, you know, I was out of teaching and I was back in services, but I was like, I was, I was really actively engaged in my recovery. Everybody in the, the, my care team was saying, you know, oh, you just need a quieter life. Why don't you? Why don't you get a job in a cafe? Why don't you just you just need just need to some part time? Just just really focus on you and be quiet. And actually, I didn't want that. I did, I couldn't go back to the other job because that's where the eating disorder lived, and I needed something different. But I just knew that if I'd have settled to have like a job somewhere like Costa, then for the rest of my life I would have been hating what it had done to me, what the eating disorder had done to me. So and I made the are available and nothing oh, wrong with But I just I just knew that there was still that part of me that needed to have my own career and needed to have my own money and be very independent. I just needed to get rid of the eating disorder first in order to be able to make that happen. Um, and it just seemed to be that often a lot of the time when I was sat in services and I was starting to get well. So, you know, by this point I was nutritionally well, so my brain was starting to become stronger. As I remember looking around thinking, well, why is it that we're just saying to these people, everyone in this room, oh, just go and do voluntary work or just going, not that there's anything wrong with voluntary work and not that there's anything wrong with working in the cafe, but if you've had a career before, then you can have that career again. It's just about making sure that it's in a different space where the eating disorder doesn't live. And I think it's about personal benchmarking, isn't it? I think it's about recognition of who you were prior to your eating disorder and what key parts of that personality are to be retained and remain beyond recovery so in the same way I can remember therapists talking to me about the relationship that I was in at the point that I fell into you know an eating disorder relapse and stuff in some cases for some people going through recovery might make you realize actually the person I was with was not right for me because I was attached to them for all the wrong kind of reasons the same could be true of careers in many ways, some people could find they were attached to a specific career because it was deliberately feeding the eating disorder. I know we have people very close to this community, people that serve now as befrienders and are very, very well recovered, who were working in the fitness industry. And multiple times they went through treatment and they would turn to that career. And what happened? They continued to relapse. So they had to have a talking to themselves that however much it meant and it mattered to them to do a career that they loved and enjoyed, 
actually there were decisions to be made about what would be right for their long-term recovery and ultimately the person I'm thinking of like went to an amazing career that doesn't involve being a PT anymore but actually is active and fits her personality and is probably the thing that she should have done from childhood you know but but I think we all have to make those decisions but you're absolutely right to sit there and talk to people in treatment like all they're fit for is doing a jigsaw and maybe doing four hours of voluntary work for the rest of their lives that's just so wrong when my brain started to tick back in in treatment and I was sitting in those sorts of conversations I was looking around the room thinking I already know some of the people here are you know um first first degree students out of Cambridge University who were on all set to be a surgeon or people that have you know got letters after their name and they have been a lecturer or whatever and now you're telling them actually they would be better to work you know four hours in an Oxfam shop every Wednesday I mean that's it's just it's anathema to suggest that that's the healthy way to make people recover it and I, I think there is that balance isn't there that Obviously, any healthcare and healthcare professional and loved one is always going to say, let's look at what you can manage now, but let's look at also what you aspire to and what matters to you. And I've talked to you a lot about that, haven't I? I often use that sentence of it's not what's the matter with you, but what matters to you going forward. And I, I think any career return journey should be about looking forward and thinking what matters to my recovered self. When I, and, and it's also, Definitely what matters to your recovered self. and it, But that changes as you're getting to that recovered self, doesn't it? So, you know, at certain points in my journey, I really, really wanted just to be the person that got the bus into town and did a little bit of shopping and had a coffee and then came home because I'd never been that person before. And actually at that part of my recovery, that was actually really good for me to, to connect with that slower pace and to connect with just doing things because I could. I wasn't rushing everywhere. I wasn't having to live my life by lists. But then they also then came a point where I had to be very careful because I started to hate that woman who just all she was good for was getting on a bus and going for a coffee. So that was the, that was the tipping point of, right, okay, so what, what's the next bit? What's the next bit that you fancy doing? So that was when it's like, well, actually, maybe part-time will be quite good. So I just reached out to some places and I got 16 hours work somewhere. And then suddenly that became like, oh, we're bored now. Right, what's next? So it wasn't like a, I'm going to get well and on the 1st of September I'm going to be able to do X. For me, it was just always checking in, right, how am I feeling? What's my identity at the moment and how am I feeling about what that is? And then moving on to the next bit, if it didn't feel like at that moment I was fulfilling myself, really. Because people always don't let it be. They'll ask us about, well, what – who will I be and what will my identity be without my eating disorder? And it's such a crucial question, but it's also a question I think we can, your phrase, we can navel gaze on a bit too much yeah. if we're not careful. Yeah, absolutely. Because we don't come into this world knowing what our path is and God wouldn't like be boring if we did. And because all we'd ever do is only open the door that we, was marked this way, please, for the perfect future or whatever. You know, I think we become what we become because of what do we go through. And sometimes that means opening doors that we're not quite sure are really the ones that were meant for us so I don't think it is right to overthink when I'm recovered what will my you know what my identity look like what will my lifestyle look like and it's not yours and my job or anybody else's in therapeutic recovery from an eating disorder to say this is you this is what you should aim for this is what your ultimate perfect world should be actually the, the fundamental thing is 
get the brain and body well enough to be able to tell you to be authentic with yourself, to find out for yourself what is well and right for you. And you might find you're the person that was really career focused. And then ultimately you think you're going to go back into a career and suddenly you find that for the first time in your life, what you feel like you most want to be is a homemaker and to be a parent and, you know, to be more at peace and not rushing around like you were saying, or you might think very differently. You might think actually that job I was doing was okay, but now I think about it, it really never pushed me and it never fulfilled me, but I thought it was what was expected of me and the life I used to live when I was doing everything for the pictures on Instagram or what other people around me had in mind for me. So I, I think if we if we go back to where our um our sort of inquirer got in touch with this and, and she's sort of saying oh you know about this gap on the cv i th- i think that sort of fear can tie us all up in knots can't it because actually the more you think about it so many people have kind of those gaps on their cv for all sorts of reasons they, that might be for mental health episodes but you think post covid how many people will have had periods on their CV where actually, frankly, you know, for with all the intent in the world, they just weren't able to get the work they wanted to get. And, and those gaps, they're, they're there, they're real life, it's honest, you've got to claim that you've had a gap, you know, you can't pretend that you were working when you weren't, you don't have to put anything in that gap. And the best bit of advice I'd say is if you're, if you're, if you're writing a CV and you're worrying about that gap, don't pay for fancy pants lawyers to have a look just go to citizens advice bureau book yourself an appointment and ask ask one of the the people there one of the support workers there you know can a a potential employee ask you about what the gap is and how much do you feel like you have to disclose I remember having an interview it was actually for another deputy headship when I was going to thought I was going to go back into that world and the the person asked me about you know oh you've got a gap in the cv and I says, oh, yeah, yeah, it, it, was, it was illness. He went, okay, that's all we need to know. So that was like, it was quite clear that their policy in that particular trust was that they didn't dig because there's no need to dig into that gap. It was just, I just said illness and that was it. I didn't need to suddenly go back to 2017 and tell them my entire story. But, you know, places like the Citizen Advice are really good to help you out, put things, put, put CVs together. And even, I know like sometimes you, there's a bit of a stigma around the job centre, but the job centre is a really important place to go for support and advice like this. It's not just about going to look for work. You can go and you can book up appointments with people who will help you put those things back together if you feel like you, you've got too many gaps or you've just forgotten how you put a CV together. Um, I'm really so glad you are. mentioned that, actually, because like you, I, I hadn't sort of had an awful lot of engagement or thought either way about job centres, like positive or negative, really. But we, since setting Wednesday's Child up, have had occasional contact from people at the job centre who've said, you know, I've had someone sit down with me and say, they've had an eating disorder, but they now want to get back into a career. What should I be advising them? And can you talk to them for us? And can you have... And and for me, I I was just, like, really delighted that the job centre felt the need to kind of connect the dots and we were able to help that person both from the aspect of all the information that the job centre could give around gaps on CVs and the like. And we were able to give the kind of eating disorder recovery insights around, well, what should you think about now that you're thinking about restarting your career? So you're right, organisations like that can be hugely, hugely helpful. And it's also, it's, it's been realistic, you know, if, if people around you are saying about, you know, just, just go part-time or just do volunteering work, if, that, if you can and you want to, brilliant. But the other part in my head when I was having these conversations with 
the care team was, well, that's not realistic for me because my money is running out. I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got a child to look after. I've got two cars I've got to keep running. I've got elderly parents that I need to be on the doorstep for. I can't just go part-time else I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my cars. I'm not going to be able to take my daughter just on a, to the cinema or whatever. Not any big fancy pants holiday. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's not letting that reality get in the way of your recovery if you need to slow down. But it's being honest with yourself that at some point, you are going to have to get back on that horse in some way, shape or form, probably, if you've got bills to pay. You know, And we have to be honest with each other. We, we, we live in the real world. We have bills to pay. I know. And, and absolutely. We're talking now, aren't we? You know, interest rate rise again yesterday, talking about 10 percent inflation. You know, we, we know that cost of living, it's a, it's a big problem for a lot of people. So just saying, I tell you what, now you're in eating disorder recovery. Why don't you just think about two hours a week? Well, OK, but I've also got, as you say, you know, got a couple of children, got outgoings, got commitments, you know, and also got a desire to do something more to challenge myself and and that's the thing for me, isn't it? That, that desire, when you feel that desire has come back in your stomach, when you're not doing it because someone's told you you have to, or you think you've got to go back to that old world, or you've got to get back on that treadmill again, it was definitely that word sums up perfectly for what it was for me, was that actually that I, I, I know I can do more than I'm doing, so let, let me do that, that, that need and that desire to do that. And we have seen that very recently, haven't we, with people that you and I have been working with who at the point that we first met them a year or so ago, were kind of just joining our befriending program, were stepping into recovery, didn't want to do too much work, knew they needed to take things on very, very slowly, built up, built up, and now have just reached that desire to do a more full-on in-person role and have just got themselves, you know, another job. And, and I think that's desire in action. And we see how that happens with people. It's progress, isn't it? It's somebody just working out, do I want to climb Everest? And if I do want to climb Everest, am I saying it's Everest tomorrow, the, the summit of Everest tomorrow? Or am I saying, I reckon what I could do is walk to the end of my garden path tomorrow. And by next week, I'll be into the next city. It, you know, it, it's just kind of stepped process. And really remembering along that process to applaud yourself for where you've got to. And just as we say so many times around what's on your plate, what you weigh, what you wear, you know what when you when you eat when you don't eat or all those sorts of things stop thinking about what matters to other people and what the impression is of other people about what you should be doing for your recovery it's in exactly the same way as having to dull that soundtrack of everybody else's voice in terms of then thinking what you should eat or not eat but just kind of checking in with yourself and saying, well what do I need for my future and my career and and my sort of attainment and desires. The thing I suppose though, you know, being the little the little voice in people's ears is when you start that journey, because you're dead right, it's so important to do that. But when you start that journey that you have an absolute laser focus on recovery so that you you absolutely can feel it, whether you feel it in your brain, your tummy, your feet, your fingers, your water, wherever you're feeling it, if you can feel that that eating disorder voice is starting to creep back in, that you know exactly how to stomp it out. Because the quickest way to stop any of these new plans is to let that eating disorder back in. And as soon as he or she starts to get back in again, then your new plans, there's, they're not new plans. They're just going to be the same old, same old cycle of this eating disorder trap. So it's just 
really tuning in to what those niggles, whether you call them niggles, triggers, spins, whatever you call them, so that you know the second that, oh, hang on a minute, I didn't make a packed lunch this morning, right, what's that all about? So you know to jump on it. I better go to Marks and Spencer and buy a sandwich. I best go to Costa um, and, and grab a latte very, very quickly and a hot chocolate. Um, it's all those things just, like when you find yourself parking, you know, oh, yeah, there is the staff car park yeah, on the website. But yeah. you know what? I just think I'll move, work, you know, I'll park her just a mile or so away because it'll be good for me just to get a little bit. Oh, and I know, you know, my husband said he could drop me, but I think I'll just, you know, it's all right. No, 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 don't worry. And oh, look, there happens to be a gym on site and it's included in my staff. So I, I might as well just. Um, you yeah, know, and yeah. then all of a sudden you're saying I'm not going to go out with the team or then you're saying oh that box of celebrations that's on the side and oh not for me because I don't do that yeah. those things <laughs> gather pace really quickly don't they and they become a collective path to self-destruction yeah exactly the fr- I was going to say the Friday fish and chips you know when all the gang are off going to Friday fish and chips and you're there with your salad or whatever just just be really mindful because if you don't let the voice back in then that new world is your absolute oyster and you can just go and go forth and be incredibly happy, but just don't let, don't let it back in. Yeah. And as you say, we should be thinking about these new career pathways as things that are the opportunity to open up an altogether different world. That might be just professionally and skills you're going to learn, but new experiences and new people that you're going to mix with new things you find out about yourself, you know, I, I know that I'm about to do something that I've not done before professionally and you are in a place that now means in the role that you're in you're going to be in Dubai next week aren't you is it I know yeah. Sorry, the week after and we might even shoot on and do a live uh, from Dubai I mean that's something that I'm not saying the world of being a deputy head teacher was humdrum but you, <laughs> but you wouldn't have thought about being uh, like you know in Dubai representing your business in the way that you're going to be doing in a fortnight so you found yourself having to kind of do something altogether different, which is massively exciting. I think, I think along the journey, I think what you and I, what you've just said there, I think you and I have actually found ourselves. I was just joking with you before the recording, wasn't it, Debbie, that I rocked up to work today in my Foo Fighters t-shirt, my scruffy jeans and my, my trainers because just, I've just got a day where I've just got to crack through stuff. Forgot I had this like ridiculously important meeting. But I just sat there in my Foo Fighters t-shirt, t-shirt and my jeans and my trainers and it didn't change anything, you know. The, the same decisions have happened. I got a few odd looks, but that's just who I am. And if you don't like it, then don't ask me back. And I don't mean that in a flippant way. You know, I'm not mean to people. And it's not like one of those, you know, oh, well, this is who I am. And, you know, you can't comment. But I got rid of, I got rid of the eating disorder bullshit and I've got rid of the, a lot of the other bullshit to go with it as well. Because you've talked before, haven't you, about being the kind of representation of the shoulder padded, suited, booted, very stiff, if I'm kind of honest about it, you know, just just quite straight and uptight almost in the way you presented yourself. And actually, that's not the professional you are today, but you are equally if not more so more equipped more experienced more skilled and more capable and approachable than you ever were in the role that you were in before and anybody anyone who's listening if you know you're you're in a good good way through your recovery and you're, you're coming out the other side or even if you've just started your recovery just reflect back for a moment and just think about the strength and the power and the determination that is needed to recover from an eating disorder if you just put even one percent of that into your career and your next steps you're going to fly because 
there isn't there isn't many people who can battle like someone who can battle through an eating disorder. So everything else just fails into comparison. I've had worse arguments with myself in my own head than I will ever have with any actual live human being. We um, are the perfect people for conflict resolution. <laughs> ah, too right. I just sit now going, yeah, whatever. I've heard it like a lot worse <laughs> from myself. And, and talk about perfect empaths to have as colleagues as well. We kind of make good people to have in the workplace these days, don't we? And you sort of tune in on things, don't you? Yeah, I mean, all that therapy and, that we all have, and it, it, it's all there for the best, best, best possible reason. So embrace it and then, you know, grab hold of life and crack on. Oh, what a great summary. Love that, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, well, that's it for this episode. Hope that's been really useful. And I really hope this one is going to trigger a few people to get in touch and let us know what you've done in terms of getting back on the horse in terms of your education or your employment and and any questions you might have. So you might be a spouse or a partner or even a parent worried about somebody getting back into a stage of education or employment and want to kind of know a little bit more. And we're really happy to organise some kind of specialised um, webinar where we can talk about that a little bit more. Who knows, we might get the guys from the Job Centre and uh, those uh, HR professionals to join us on that and give a few tips and tricks as well. So thank you very much for listening. Do always feel free to leave your comments on the podcast and get in touch as ever on the email, which is hello at wednesdayschild.co.uk. And for now, that's Sarah and that's me from the Wednesday's Child podcast. Thanks again. You take care, look after yourselves and embrace full recovery. Bye.